a good morning. So glad that you're here today. Thank you for being here. Some of you, again, this might be your first time, and uh, we're glad that you came today. Um, as you came in, there was a, a program that you received, and inside that program is a connection card. We invite you to take a minute and fill that out. Let us know about your presence with us this morning. And at the end of our service, you can drop that in the offering basket. So glad that you're here today. Last Sunday, we celebrated Easter. We celebrated the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We had a record crowd for the whole weekend. Uh, we had almost 700 people um, in attendance over all of our services last weekend. So we, that was an amazing, amazing Sunday. Yeah. But more exciting than that, if 14 people took a next step in Christ and made a decision to become followers of Jesus Christ last Sunday. 14 people did that. Let's, let's celebrate in Jesus' name. Yes. That's why we exist. We exist to reach people. We're deciding to see people coming to Christ last Sunday, um, last weekend. And so, but today we're going to continue in our series called Overwhelm. And, um, and I just want to for just a minute, just to invite you into my life, just for one, one minute here. And I'm not doing this, and I'm not telling you this for your sympathy or empathy. I'm not, I don't really care about that, but I just want to let you see a snapshot. But every pastor that I know, um, there's this feeling, there's this feeling that we cannot escape. And that feeling is every week, Sunday is coming. Every week, Sunday's happening. Whether I'm ready or not, it's going to be here. And so there are times in my life, and, and of course a lot of pastors that I know can relate to this, there's this feeling of being overwhelmed with the idea that there's not a break. There's not a, there's not a week where Sunday is not coming. It's coming for sure <laughs> every week. We have to get ready. Every week we, we work on sermon preparation so that we can deliver sermons every Sunday morning. And so there's that feeling of overwhelmness that sometimes happens, that sometimes engulfs my life. But we're in this series called Overwhelm. And uh, perhaps maybe you've had situations or circumstances where you feel overwhelmed. Overwhelmed. Uh, we're going to be talking about several things in the next few weeks. And in your program, there's a little card. And if you look at that card, it says overwhelm on the front. And on the back, it's the different things that we're going to talk about. I hope that you will take this and not bury it in your Bible or throw it in the garbage. I hope that you'll look at this and that you will invite somebody in the next few weeks. Maybe you know somebody that's dealing with guilt. Well, we're talking about that today, so it's too late to invite that person today for guilt. But maybe next week, you know someone that's dealing with anger. Or perhaps you know somebody that's dealing with depression in a couple weeks. Or grief. Perhaps stress. Worry, anxiety. Any of these things that you, we're going to talk about, and maybe you're working with somebody. Maybe you're related to somebody. Maybe you live next door to somebody. You know that they're going through this. I encourage you, I invite you to go out and hand them a card and invite them to church and say, hey, our church is talking about something that might really help you. And um, so I encourage you to do that. Be aware of what we're doing in your life, in your circle. Because we're trying to intersect, late point, 
We're trying to intersect with your world. We're trying to help you. We're trying to help the people that you know so that they can live a life that's so much better than the way that they're living. And so that's what we're all about here. And so I hope that you will, you will be active here in the next few weeks inviting somebody. Well, today we're going to talk about guilt. It's that thing that we deal with that sometimes can be so overwhelming that it has driven people to suicide. It can drain the happiness out of your life. It can, it can drain the joy out of your heart. It can suck the air right out of your lungs. Guilt. It's those skeletons in the closet that you have kind of forgotten about, but then your memory rattles around and brings them back up to light. And you start living in the past, the DUI, the failed marriage, perhaps that one-night stand. Maybe you were a parent that were absent with your kids in the past. The sexual abuse, the betrayal of broken friendships, guilt. It's a ghost that will haunt you, hinder you, and would hurt you to the day that you die unless you deal with it. Unless you deal with it. One of the marks of a healthy conscience, one of the marks of a healthy conscience is that guilt will stick to you until you deal with it. In fact, so many people try to do different things with their guilt. So many people try to deal guilt in different ways. In uh, 1811, there was a letter sent to President James Madison with a $5 bill in it. And he said, I had defrauded the government. I would like to submit this $5 into a fund, which is now called, and it's an actual fund in Washington, D.C., called the Conscience Fund. And ever since that day, in 1811, people have been sending money to the conscience fund. As of today, there are over $7 million in that fund in the U.S. Treasury, people trying to pay off their guilt. The biggest amount that's ever been written, it was anonymous. They don't even know where it came from, why it came, who it was from. It was a check in 1982 for $155,000. On average, since 1980, there has been $200,000 on average given each year to the conscience fund. People are trying to, some people try to pay off their guilt. Uh, my wife sent me a, uh, a blog post this past week about guilt. And in it is some ways that we manage guilt. And by the way, it's unhealthy ways we manage our guilt. Some, of, some people deny it. They, 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 they believe that it doesn't even exist. They live in denial. Some of us, we minimize it. We, we, we don't call it sin. We use other terms. Oh, we just messed up. Or I made a mistake. But we don't call it what it is. Some of us, we suppress it. We bury it. You know, we try to get busy, we try to get, 
we try to live the busy life and we try to bury our past, bury our guilt. But it always comes back up, doesn't it? Some of us, we punish ourselves. We work harder. We add more rules to our lives. We punish ourselves. Some of us, we numb ourselves. We numb ourselves with alcohol, with drugs. We're hoping to release the pain of guilt. Some of us, we avoid talking about it. We don't tell anybody. It's a locking key, locking a vault, and we store it away. We don't even talk about it. We do all these things. Some of us, we normalize it. We, we compare. We look at the people in the, in the news and say, you know what? They're doing a whole lot worse than I am. So therefore, I'm not as bad as I am. I'm normal. And, and we, we normalize it. We do all these things, and we try to wrestle with our guilt. And all these things are unhealthy. Unhealthy way of dealing with guilt. And so many people feel like the psalmist David, when he wrote in Psalm 38, he says in verse number 4, My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to carry. And here's where the problem begins. It's when Adam was created. He was created without the ability to cope with guilt. He didn't have the ability to deal with it. Why is that? Because he was not put on this earth to sin. So when he sinned, he had no way to deal with guilt. Adam had to learn, as we all do, that even though guilt is an inside job, it requires an outside help for us to get over it. Guilt is a result of sin. Sin. And here's what I hope you understand. I've used this quote before, and I want to kind of build on this. It's a powerful reminder. And here's the big idea of this message. Every saint of God Every great person that God has ever used, I want you to understand this, every saint has a past, and every sinner has a future. By the way, a saint is someone who's a follower of Jesus Christ. Saint is not for the special, privileged, elite Christian. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are a saint, a child of God. And every child of God, every Christ follower in the room here, and every Christ follower that you've ever known has a past. And every sinner has a future. Today we're going to explore the life of Paul, the Apostle Paul, the greatest missionary in the history that we know. It's the one that wrote a ton of the New Testament. The Apostle Paul... He also had a very dark, dark past. And so we're going to start here. I'm going to look through his story. We're going to look in Acts chapter 7. We're going to begin there. And in Acts chapter 7, we see a story unfolding about a man named Stephen. And Stephen was, a, was one of the early church fathers, one of the early church leaders 
And, um, and he was serving God. He was preaching God. And remember, there was a resistance against the gospel of Jesus Christ. There was a resistance from the people of Judaism that wanted to still believe in the Old Testament laws, that didn't want to believe that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. There were people still holding on to the old ways. And, and, and Stephen coming around preaching boldly the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they arrested him. And the, and the Jewish people, they arrested him. They made him stand before the court of the Sanhedrin. Now, the Sanhedrin, this is the highest religious order, the highest religious court in Judaism. This was a very intimidating situation to be in, frightening. And instead of, you know, Stephen pleading for his life in front of the Sanhedrin, man, he saw it as an awesome opportunity to preach the gospel. I mean, he's preaching. He's preaching. He's in court. He's being tried. They're trying to figure out if they should keep him alive or not. And he's preaching the gospel to them. Now we pick up the story in verse 57. Then they put their hands over their ears, and they began shouting. They rushed at him and dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. His accusers took off their coats and laid him at the feet of a young man named Saul. As they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees, shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, Stephen died, and Stephen became the first known martyr to die for the Christian faith. But we're going to pick up in chapter 8, in verse number 1, the story continues. Saul was one of the witnesses, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. Now, the first thing you need to know about this man named Saul is that he would eventually become the Apostle Paul. Saul is the Hebrew form of the name Paul. Again, this is the man who would be the world's greatest missionary. This is the man who writes books after books after books in the New Testament. This is how he got his start. By overseeing the execution of a man, he was preaching Jesus Christ. Now, the Bible said that people laid their coats at the feet of Paul. Now, there's several ideas of what this could mean. Some idea is that this means that Paul was the highest-ranking official he was the highest-ranking man at the scene of the execution. Other ideas is that perhaps he was given the final order to kill Stephen. He was, he was in that position, possibly. But whatever it means, we do know this in verse number one, that Paul completely approved of Stephen's murder. But it just wasn't Stephen, by the way. If we look in Acts chapter 26, Paul, later on in his life, given his testimony. And he said in his testimony, verse number 9, Acts 26, he said, I used to believe that I ought to do everything I could to oppose the very name of Jesus, the Nazarene. Indeed, I did just that in Jerusalem. Authorized by the leading priest, I caused many believers there to be sent to prison. And I cast my vote against them when they were condemned to death. Many times I had them punished in the synagogue 
to get them to curse Jesus. I was so violently opposed to them that I even chased them down in foreign cities. And here Paul described himself as a serial killer. In his own word, he had many of God's people in prison and executed. He chased them, he hunted them down. The apostle Paul, he got his start as a terrorist. Now, I know that's a very supercharged emotional word, but how else would you describe Paul? I mean, he was a terror. He terrorized the Christians during this time. He was so obsessed with crushing the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was so obsessed about stopping this movement of Christ followers that he was going to do whatever it takes to stop it, even murder. And that's what makes it, that's part of the story crazy, illogical, doesn't make sense. We pick up in a story in Acts chapter 9, and we look at verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested permission to go to the synagogue of Damascus, and he wanted to go there, and he wanted to hunt Christians in Damascus. So he's on his way to Damascus, and if you know the story, if you don't know the story, here's what happened. On his way to Damascus, he had an entourage, and they're headed there. I mean, they're ready, they're ready to, to kill Christians, imprison Christians. They're ready to torture. They're ready to do all these things. On his way there, a bright light stopped them in the middle of the way. So bright that they couldn't see. And the apostle Paul was hearing a voice, and a voice came out loud and clear. And Paul, Paul was like, who is this? Who is talking to me? And the voice said, I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. Now, the other people around Paul, the entourage, they heard the voice, but they couldn't hear exactly what was being said. But Paul was hearing a clear, a clear command from Jesus. Hey, you're persecuting me, and here's what I want you to do next. I want you to go to Damascus, and I want you to stay at a house, and I want you to wait there for three days. And after three days, I will tell you what to do next. And so the light goes away, and, and Paul blinds. He can't see. And so the other men, they, they were able to recover their, you know, their eyesight, so they, they, they lead Paul, and they get to Damascus. And, and I'm sure this whole thing just rattled Paul. I'm sure he's just shaking. I'm like, what in the world just happened. He just met Jesus on the way. And now he's sitting in the house and he's shifted for three days. We pick up the story here in verse number 10 in, in chapter 9. There was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord spoke to him in a dream, in a vision. He called it. And then Ananias, and he said, yes, Lord. And he said, I want you to go over the straight street to the house of Judas when you get there, ask for, an, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. And I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying their hands on him so that he can see again. Now, you can see the response from Ananias. He said, are you kidding me? Do you know who this guy is? 
this guy is a serial killer. This guy, he wants to kill Christians. You have any idea who this man is, God? He said, you know, I've heard many people talk about him. Verse 14, he said, he's authorized to arrest everyone who calls upon his name. But look at verse 15. And this is, what, this is crazy to me. But the Lord said, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings, as well as to the people of Israel. I mean, you see how crazy this is? Hold on, I want you to think about this. Paul, this man who was a murderer, a butcher, a religious extremist, a terrorist, was chosen by God. Chosen. God chose this man to take the message of the gospel to the far corners of the world. The fact that God would choose this man to preach the gospel also reveals the heart of the gospel. And the heart of the gospel is revealed here in the next few verses. Look at verse 17. So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road have sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, the Bible says, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he regained his sight. And he got up and was baptized. Afterward, he ate some food and regained his strength. See, God sent Ananias to Paul for one reason. One reason, and that reason is this to remove the blinders off his eyes. To take off the blinders. By the way, that's a picture of what the church is called to do. The church is called to take the blinders off. We exist to help people see Jesus. Because once people see Jesus, the rest begins to fall into place. Notice that Ananias didn't go to the house to condemn Paul. He didn't go there to, to bring up his past, which his past, just as of three days ago, was pretty horrible. Just three days ago, be, before this moment, Paul was a pretty dangerous man. Ananias, he was sent there to take the blinders off so that Paul could see Jesus in the presence. And when the church does that, when we lift the blinders off. When we take them off, when we show people Jesus, that's when the power and the beauty of the gospel is realized. Notice what Ananias didn't do. When you look at the passage of Scripture, Ananias didn't tell Paul, man, you're really messed up, dude. You're really screwed up. Man, you got to get some things straightened up before you come to Jesus. There's some things that you got to work on in fact, before you commit to Jesus, you probably should take a membership class. You, you probably got to do all these things before you come to Christ. You got to get straightened up before you can come to Christ. Ananias didn't do that. Ananias walked in, he took the blinders off, showed him Jesus, and baptized him on the spot. No questions, no condemnation, no classes, no second guessing. It's that simple. And it boggles my mind how the church in general completely messes up. 
This is the beauty of the gospel. Paul wrote later in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he said, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. You see, the moment that Ananias took the blinders off, Paul's past was done. Paul's past was dead, never to be resurrected. Paul didn't have to get himself cleaned up. He allowed Jesus to come into his life and allowed Jesus to clean him up. You see, this is how Satan works. See, Satan wants to get in your life and say, hey, your past, your past makes you a no count. Your past it makes you a failure. Your past, you don't deserve what Christ did on the cross. You can't surely believe that Jesus died for your entire past. Come on now. That's how Satan works. And he begins to creep in. He wants you to dwell on your guilt. He wants you to dwell on your past. He wants you to dwell on your shame. By the way, Satan used churches. Some of you may have been to a church where they're preaching a steady diet of self-righteous, unbiblical, religious junk. And maybe you were told that you had to get yourself straightened out before you could come to Christ. That you had to get yourself cleaned up. Then you could come to Christ. Then you could become a part of the church. Do you realize that telling someone to get cleaned up before they come to Christ, it's like telling them to go get clean before you can take a bath? It's silly. It's illogical. But so many Christ churches have done that. Oh, you know, if you want to be one of us, you've got to be like Christ first. You've got to shape up. You've got to measure up. And that's not how we're supposed to be. We're called to remove the blinders and to show them Jesus no matter where they've been, no matter what they've done, no matter what their past looked like. Notice what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 3. He said, For all have sinned, and have fallen short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by the grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. Not by works, but by faith. Not by the good work that you've done, but by the work that he did for us on the cross. All of us have sinned. Every one of you. If you're first time in church, you're on equal ground with the person that's been a believer for 60 years. You're a sinner. He's a sinner. I'm a sinner. We're on equal ground in front of the cross. And we are all justified freely by the grace of God. Not, not because of what we can do, not because of what we have done, but because of what Christ did on the cross, freely. That's why Ananias didn't ask Paul a million questions. That's why Ananias didn't drag up the past. That's why he didn't do all that. Paul believed in Christ. That was enough. That was enough. And because of his faith, Ananias baptized him. And Paul's past, 
melted away into oblivion. Gone. Gone. I love Isaiah 43, verse 25. God says, I, even I, am he who blocked out your transgression for my own sake. And remember your sins no more. I call it first the etch a sketch book. Y'all know what I'm talking about? The old original iPad, all right? Got the two knobs, all right? And the makers up on it. You know, you got one knob that makes the line go this way, and the other knob makes it go side by side, and you play with it. And after you're done, what do you do? You flip it upside down, right? And then you do what? You shake it, right? And then you turn it back up, and you've got a clean slate. I call it the extra sketch first, because that's what God does when you give your, when you, when you ask him to forgive you of your sin. When you come to him, when you recognize your sin, and say, God, please forgive me of my sin, and he will take your sin, and he has a beautiful, terrible memory, because he will forget it. He will forgotten. He will erase. When you come to Christ, your past isn't just forgiven. It's forgotten. And I don't understand that. How does an all-knowing God do that? I don't have a clue. I just know that he does. The Bible says in Psalm 103, verse 10, 11, and 12, God does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us, east and west. How far can you go east? Where's the stopping point for east? Where's the stopping point for going west? Now, you see, if you were to go north and south, there's a stopping point. You get to the North Pole, the only place you can go when you get to the North Pole is where? South. When you get to the South Pole, the only place you can go when you get to the South Pole is to go north. But if you go east, you will keep walking, and walking, and walking, and walking. If you go west, you keep walking, and walking, and walking. There is no end. And that is how God views our sin when we give it to him. God wants to take your past. He wants to take your sin, your garbage. He wants to take your guilt, your shame. And he wants to remove it from you, from the east and from the west. So I'm going to ask you a real simple question here. So important. If God has forgotten your past, why in the world are you dwelling on it? If God, Almighty God, has forgotten your past, has removed it, he did the whole extra sketch with it, then why are you dwelling on it? Why are you dwelling on the past? Why are you dwelling on your guilt? Why are you dwelling on your shame? Let me show you a couple of verses here that are game changers. Isaiah 43, verse number 18. God said, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. And then he said, see, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? And I believe that this scripture right here is going to change someone today. I really believe this. So I'm going to read it again. 
This is the word from God for you today. Your heavenly father is begging you to forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? God is doing something in your present, but you keep living in the past. God is doing something new, but you keep dwelling on the old. You don't even perceive the work that God wants to do in your life because you've never let go of what you've done. So today can be a day that can change forever. Two big thoughts here, real quick. I hope you understand. Two big takeaways here. Number one, we have to recognize that your biggest sins are not too big for God's grace. Your biggest sin, your biggest sin is not too big for the grace of God. You said, well, you know, the whole story about Paul, here's why I brought this up, because it's so important. If we look at 1 Timothy, Paul wrote this, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, in verse number 15, he said, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. In other words, pay attention. You need to really get this in. You really need to understand what I'm trying to make here. Here's the point I want you to hear. He said, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of who I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy. So that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus, might display his immense patience as an example for those who will believe in him and receive eternal life. Paul's testimony, Paul's life. Wow. And if you say, man, I got a past, God. I don't know that I can get over it. Then you should read more about Paul. Paul is saying, listen, I am a miracle. I am a living proof of the testimony of God who changed my life. Sure, my past is my past, and I can't change the past, which brings our second point. You cannot change your past, but Christ can change your future. Christ can change your future. Christ can change your future. He can change your future. You can't do anything about the past, but you can change your future through Christ. Through Christ. Not through yourself, not through a self-help book, not through a, 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 a seminar, but through Christ. Through Christ. He can change your future. I love the way Paul said it in Philippians in chapter 3. I believe this, if, if I had to guess Paul's favorite passage of Scripture, his life verse, I would guess this would be it. Paul says in chapter 3, verse number 12, he said, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection. He said, I'm not perfect. Paul said, I am not perfect. You, you guys look at me as this amazing man of God, or great, the greatest missionary ever lived. I'm not perfect. I'm at equal ground with everybody else. I'm a sinner just like you. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. And then he said, and that's what, and, and, and he said, but I press on. I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. And then he said this, No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, 
But I focus on this one thing, which I think is actually kind of funny, because then he goes off and gives us two things, okay? So I don't know what he, what's going on here, but he gives us two things. They focus on this one thing, but give us two things, all right? Forgetting the past. I'm focusing on forgetting the past. I'm focusing on forgetting the past. I want you to say that with me. Forgetting the past. Say it with me. Forgetting the past. Say it like you meant it. Forgetting the past. Forgetting the past. You know what that means? It means this. To treat. To treat with thoughtless inattention. It means to willfully neglect. It means to intentionally leave behind. It means to banish from one thought. It means to disregard on purpose. It means to, to quit remembering. He said, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. Then he said in verse 14, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Jesus is calling you to forget the past and to press on. You can only do this with the grace of God. You can only do this with the help of God. You just want to deal with your guilt. It's through Jesus Christ. And when you come to him, you realize that he has forgiven you, and you move on, and you move forward. You move forward. You cannot change your past. But Christ can change your future. And I'm sure the Apostle Paul, I mean, he's preaching the gospel everywhere now. It's all over the map, preaching the gospel. And they'll come up to a little boy and a little girl and say, hey, how you, how you guys doing? So glad you came to church today. The little boy and little girl said, Paul, Pastor Paul, I don't have a mom or a daddy. Because you had them prison, and they died. And I'm sure his past kept haunting him. I'm sure he had to remind himself daily. This wasn't a one-time deal for Paul. I'm sure every day he had to deal with the fact, man, I've got a bad past. And he had to remind himself who he was in Christ, that he is a child of God, that he's a new person, new creation. And he had to keep pressing forward. There were some days, I'm sure he didn't feel like pressing forward. There were some days he wanted to live on the past and feel like quitting. He said, man, I really did blow it for that family. I really did mess things up. But he had to realize that the forgiveness of God we erased the past. And he kept moving forward, pressing on, pressing on. You can't change the past. But through God's help, you can change your future. Today, some of you are overwhelmed with guilt, shame. You're overwhelmed with the past. I pray that you get past your past and to remember that every saint has a past and every sinner has a future. Our Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you today for your word. We thank you for the power of your word. We thank you that there is hope in the future. We thank you that you died on the cross for our past, for our sins. We thank you that you rose again and give us hope for the future. Perhaps, God, there are some of us here today. There are some of us here today that are living in the past. There are some of us here today that won't let go of the past. 
God, I pray that they will claim Isaiah 43, where you will forget your sin. God, I pray that they will claim these verses that we talk about today. Help us to forget the past. Help us to see that you're working in us today. And some of us are so focused on the past that we are neglecting what you're trying to do to us in the present. Perhaps, God, there's someone here today that don't have a relationship with Christ. They, they've never come to a realization. They've never come to the foot of the cross and asked you to come into their life to be the Lord and Savior. Perhaps they thought that they couldn't. Perhaps they thought that their past was too bad. Their past was too dark. That they couldn't come to Christ. That Christ couldn't forgive them. There's some of them, there's someone here that maybe they feel like they've got to forgive themselves first before they ask God to forgive them. But God, I pray that they realize that is a lie from hell. That's a lie from Satan. Because we will never come to terms with our sin until we come to Jesus. Perhaps there's someone here today that today is a new day. Today is a day of salvation for them. Today is a day where they want to surrender their life, surrender their past, and give it to Jesus, and allow Jesus to forgive them of their sins. It doesn't mean we're going to be perfect, God, but we know that we're going to grow toward perfection, that we're going to grow in our walk towards you, that you will help us. Perhaps there's someone here today. No one looking. No one looking. I'm gonna, maybe I, I'm talking to you. Maybe you're here today. You said, Scott, you're talking to me. I don't know Jesus. I've never asked him to come into my life to be my Lord and Savior. And today, I want to do that. Today, I'm ready to let go of the past. I'm ready to let go of the darkness of my past and to give it to Jesus. I'm going to trust that Jesus can change my life from this day forward. I want to become a new man. I want to become a new woman in Christ today. And so what much I do is just simply the Bible says to reach out and to call upon the name of the Lord. To call upon his name and ask him and invite him into your life to be your Lord and Savior. To ask him to come in and forgive you of your sins. And he wants to come in. The Bible says that he's knocking on the door of your heart. The Bible says he's knocking. He's just waiting for you to open the door. The ball's in your court. They invite him in. The ball's in your court. He wants to come in. And when he does it, when he comes in, he wants to clean up. He wants to start changing you to become the man or the woman that God wants you to be. And you simply pray a prayer just like this. I did this last week, but maybe you didn't do it last week. He said, but today I'm ready to do this. To pray a prayer that simply says, Dear God, I have a past. I'm a sinner. My past is bad, and I have fallen, I have missed the mark of what you want me to be. But today, I'm willing to let go of the past and to give it to Jesus. I'm ready to give it to you, and I'm asking you to forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart and remove the guilt of the past, remove the shame of the past. Come into my life, and I want to become a new man, a new woman, just like Paul. He became a new man. He became a new person in Christ. And today, I'm tired of chasing all the other stuff. I'm ready to chase after Jesus. Only he can change my life, and I believe that. 
Thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. Thank you for rising again on that third day. If you're here today, you say, Scott, I just prayed that prayer. But I ask you to come into my heart. And I ask him to be my Lord and Savior. And I did that today. No one's looking. I'm not going to make you stand on your chair. I'm not going to make you stand up. I just want to see who you are so I can be excited and celebrate with you and pray for you. And we want to help you. But if that's true, you say, Scott, I prayed that prayer. And I ask Jesus to come in my heart. Will you simply raise your hand? Anybody in here? Over here? I see a hand over here. Awesome. Awesome. Been praying for you. Been praying for you. Who else? Awesome. Awesome. Anybody else? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for life change. We thank you for people who's willing to let go of the past and to give it to you. We thank you for salvation. Because without salvation, we all be doomed. We wouldn't be here. But we have hope in the resurrection. In your name I pray. Amen. Let's all stand to our feet. Let's worship.